I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll look at a couple of verses, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 9 as well. But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray your blessing upon our time together in your word. I pray for clarity, for understanding for illumination from the Holy Spirit so that we can apply these things and live them out in our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter is writing this letter to the churches of Asia Minor. And he is, uh, the, these churches are anticipating persecution. They can kind of see it coming. They, they can just anticipate it. Um, much like we, we kind of see it today that um, we see that the church is no longer has favor with the world like it once did. And there's certain threats to churches. We see even pastors being um, arrested for certain, for certain things. Um, we see freedoms being taken away. But that's out there. It hasn't really affected us so much here and now, but we, we can kind of see it coming. And they were, they were seeing the same thing. It hadn't happened yet, but it's just a matter of time. And the question for them in their own hearts, they're just asking, how am I going to respond? What's going to happen? Am I going to walk away? Am I going to uh, cave in? Am I going to give up the faith? Um, and so they're anticipating these things in their own heart. Will they stand for Christ like they should? Or will they, will they just uh, abandon the faith? And this is for us a, a good reminder that there is a serious war going on, a spiritual war going on, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to be uh, taking it seriously. And so we've been studying the, this spiritual warfare. We started it a few weeks back and studying spiritual warfare and the focus of our study has been on uh, Satan himself, because that's where everything began. This rebellion against God started with Satan. And so we've been looking at him and asking questions uh, about Satan and really kind of covering the whole of Scripture. But we're, we've been looking and targeting and, and expositoring, uh, expositing uh, some key passages, and I believe this is one of the key passages that we need to deal with. In First Peter chapter five, we we need to know about Satan. We need to know at least a certain degree what he's like, his character. Um, we need to know our enemy. Sung Tzu is a, a Chinese uh, military genius, really a. a uh, uh, a general, he was a, also a philosopher, he lived 700, 500, some, something like that, years before Christ. And he's the one that said, 
keep your friends close, but your friend, your enemies closer. And he understood the principle that you have to be aware of what's going on in the life and, and what's going on with your enemies. We have a State Department here in the United States and they deal with foreign affairs. And there's a list of favored nations, a list that, and people would want to be on that list. Um, I know Thailand and Singapore and there's a, a few other nations that are favored, has favored nation status to the United States. And so we understand, we understand warfare here in our country and, and we have a, a State Department that's aware of that. We've gone through many wars, the, the latest of Desert Storm, of course, in Iraq and Iran and um, even Afghanistan and the things that are going on in the, in the Middle East, we have to be aware of. That's kind of the hot spot right now. Um, we have a favored nation status, but we also have uh, an enemies list. We probably don't list that. It's not, you know, I don't know that you can just look that up. But there's some nations that we have to be aware of that, okay, they're, they're getting all of the uh, things necessary for nuclear armament, right? They're accumulating the things. Russia already has some. Iran is trying to get the materials. Uh, North Korea is the same situation. We, we are suspicious of China as a nation right now and trying to just make sure that we're aware of what's going on there. We don't call them enemies, but, but we're putting them in the enemy zone. And that's what nation leaders have to do. They have to be aware because there's threats out there and we, we need to know that. And as believers, children of God, we must be aware of and we must keep in mind that there is a spiritual war going on. And we need to be able to identify, and that's, that's our principle, just identify the, the distinguishing marks of the enemy and understand how he operates. That's why we focus on Satan. So that in the midst of the, va- the battle, we're not confused. We're not on, fighting against the, the wrong side here and or, or we're not cowards and run in fear and i believe spiritually i think america is drifting right now we've detached ourselves from god and his word and now we're kind of drifting into a, a spiritual realm that i don't think america is prepared for they're they're kind of uh there's a, a deep interest right now of the the paranormal the, the supernatural um, and they're opening themselves up for uh, a spiritual world that, again, I, I don't think they're ready to face. And there's real dangers there that they don't even know is, is there. And that's, that's the danger. And so we have to look at and have to be aware of our enemy. And so we've been asking questions. The first question was, where did Satan come from? Just a quick review in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We, we kind of looked at these. He, he, first of all, it was a created being. So he is uh, created by God from the beginning and has a specific purpose that God has laid out. And, and so there's limitations. He is a created being. He's not sovereign. He's not omniscient. He's not all powerful. He can't read your mind. But he is a spirit being, a spiritual being. And that means he doesn't have flesh and bones. 
And so in a sense, he's not limited. He's, we, we can't capture him in a box. He, we can't ban him from our house. We can't ban him from a particular room. No, he has his uh, a purpose and, and God is fulfilling his purpose through Satan. We have to be careful about that, but that is, that's the case. He is a spirit being. He's also an evil being. He was born or, or created pure, but he has sinned. Sin was found in his heart. He was corrupted from within and from this very, uh, the corruption was found in his very heart and he is evil. He's armed and dangerous. He's very persuasive. As persuasive power. Number four, he is also mobile. He, he can stand before God, the highest of heavens, the third heaven, but he can also prowl around the earth, as Peter says, seeking someone to devour. He can traverse the, the whole globe, 7.7 billion people, and he can deceive the nations. And he, he works in, in governments and colleges and universities and schools and churches and even families. And so he's not scared of us. Number five is he's an accountable being. He is responsible before God. Someday he will give an account for his actions before God and his, his judgment is already set. He is doomed. In fact, he has to get permission from God to do the things that he does. He is God's Satan, and he is under God's control. And number two, the second question we've looked at is, what were Satan's distinction, their distinctive marks from the very beginning? He had certain marks, like a flag has colors, what were his marks? What were his distinguishing marks? We saw that in Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen last week. The first one was pride. He was lofty. He, he was lifted up. He lifted up himself, haughty. He, he overly confident in his ability. It's really just the opposite of what he should have been as a created being. He should have been humble, but he was elevated. So that marked him out. Number two, he was marked out by just a, a distorted view of reality. His reality had, was corrupted. It says he corrupted uh, his own wisdom, his own thinking. His own perspective was, was twisted and, and not the way it should be. And, and I think that he has just bought in, honestly bought into his own twisted reality. He's living it out. And he's the father of lies because everything then is twisted and not the way it should be in his thinking. And he twists the truth. Number three is marked out by his, his independence from God. He's seeking independence. And you see that in the attitude of many people today. Is, I will live my life the way I want to live my life. That's Satan in a nutshell. He is independent of God. He's going to do what he wants to do. And these are at the very heart of this rebellion against God. This is what it is to, to rebel and shake our fist at God. In fact, this is, this is the epitome of every sin, isn't it? Just the, the lofty pride, arrogance, the, the, real, the twisting of reality and manipulating, and then independence from, from God. 
And Satan has had a certain amount of success. He, uh, in many ways, appears that he is victorious. And it looks like he has won the battle. Um, he was, sin was found in his heart. He was cast out of heaven. But before he went, he uh, brought one-third of the angelic host with him. That's a certain level of success. He was cast down to the earth. He orchestrated the fall of man. Uh, man was deceived. Eve was deceived and followed. Uh, Adam followed and, and joined in against uh, his rebellion against God. And that's a certain level of success. And then his, his, he's usurped a, he is now the, he has usurped man's rule over this earth, and now he is the prince of the power of the air. And again, we see success, and it seems like he's winning. In fact, so much so that, that Christ has warned us about Satan in his teaching. Paul and John, in fact, all of the New Testament writers warn us about Satan and warn the church to be on guard. Against this enemy that we have. And in this passage, Peter is wrapping up his letter to the churches of Asia Minor. And he does so with a, with a glimpse of this spiritual warfare that's going on. And Peter is challenging them to have proper attitude. In facing this persecution, it hasn't hit yet, but, but they know it's coming. And facing this persecution in certain attitudes that he wants to... This, the churches to have, and, and it's, a, it's a warning. And that's the point of this passage, to warn and, and to prepare them to face this, this uh, spiritual battle, the spiritual battles that are, are coming. But in verse 5, he mentions, be subject to your elders. In verses 5 and 6, both, he talks about uh, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Number verse 7, he talks about trusting in God's sovereignty. And in verse 8, the passage that we read, the verse that we're wanting to look at, we have two imperatives, two commands. The first is, be of sober spirit. The second is, be watchful. And you notice right away, their state of being verbs. They're, they're, they're to be part of our thinking. They are to be who we are. We might call them part of our, our attitude. The, the way we think. In fact, it's, it's part of the renewing of the mind process. This is the way our minds work now. We have this particular attitude. These two. And the first one is, is be, be of sober spirit or sober minded. The word literally means abstain from wine. And the idea is just the opposite of being intoxicated. And it's used in a metaphoric way, in a, a figure, figurative of speech here. And it's talking about just the, the moral alertness, being, being common and introspective or suspect, uh, uh, circumspect. And it's a look inward, an evaluation of our own life. Ultimately, it, it's, it means just self-control. That's the idea here, is self-control. Be, control, be in control of your faculties. And I like what MacArthur had to say about this word. He says, it includes ordering and balancing life's important issues, which require the discipline of mind and body that avoid the intoxicating allure of the world. Don't, don't be intoxicated with the 
with the allure to the world. It's an attitude uh, that we develop in us that, uh, that we don't live under the influence of the world. The world and the world system is being led about by Satan himself. And then number two, we are to be watchful, to be vigilant, to be alert, just stay awake. Uh, be aware of our surroundings. And this is not a look inward, but it's a look outward. It's like the, the watchman uh, who has to stay up all night watching for the enemy. And he, he's on the city gates and he's looking out and he's just he, he has to stay awake. He has to stay alert because the enemy's out there. He has to be careful and be it talks about alertness as an attitude of alertness. Now, why? Why these two verbs? Why these two commands being sober and being watchful? He goes on to say, your enemy, the, uh, your adversary, the, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Because of the enemy. We have to be watchful because of the enemy. We have to be sober-minded because of the enemy. And In fact, he gives us three names for the enemy, the, Satan. Three names here. The adversary, the devil, and a lion. Now, names are helpful. Names help us to... Uh, know who we're, we're talking to and to, to who we're talking about, but they, they tell a little bit of the character of the person. Names are important. They identify the character. But he also gives the intent here. We see both. And I think it's helpful if we go through the names of Satan. And I, So we started looking at this, and it got some help from the biblical theology of uh, the, the thick book, the biblical theology uh, that MacArthur and Mayhew produced. There's 28 different names for devil or the Satan in the in the Bible. And so I, what can we learn? Question number three is what can we learn from the names of Satan? 28 different names. I'm just going to do them alphabetically, alphabetic order. I just want to move through these quickly. He is Abaddon. This is the passage that was read for us. Well, it's actually Revelation chapter nine. And this is association with death and destruction. He's an accuser. He's a prosecuting attorney standing before God and accusing the brethren. We mentioned that. And there's always tension there, always bringing us before God, showing, pointing, uh, or, or even to ourselves, pointing our unworthiness of God's grace. And he would be right. We're unworthy of God's grace. He's an adversary. He's opposing God and God's people. He's an angel of the bottomless pit. His doom is already set. He is Apollyon. That's talking about just uh, dealing with destruction in Revelation 9-11. Beelzebul, the, the leader of the demons. Bel, Belal, meaning, referring to vileness, wickedness, worthlessness. He's a scoundrel, a troublemaker, we might say. He's the devil, meaning slanderer. It's mentioned 39 times he's called the devil. He's the dragon in the book of Revelation and Isaiah. Um, this apocalyptic beast or, or monster, 13 times he's mentioned as the dragon. Number 10, he is the enemy. He is the enemy in Christ's parable. If you remember the parable of the terrors, where Satan's are 
God's enemy goes in and he plants uh, tares among the wheat. Satan is the one who plants uh, unbelievers among the believers within the church. He is the very enemy of God. It's a scary thing. Number 11, he is the evil one in contrast to God's righteousness. Number 12, he is the father of lies. He perpetuates lies. He originates lies. In fact, we could say every world religion is is perpetuated and originated with Satan. He's twisting the truth constantly. Number 13. This is one I want to just focus on a little bit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he is called, verse 4, he says, in whose case the God of this age, that's a scary thought. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Now, that's some power as well. He, how does he blind? With lies, with false religions, with worldviews, with philosophies that are inconsistent with, with God. And he is the God of this age. He has certain amount of power. Um, he has taken control from man, but he is still under God's authority. And he is the God of this world. It's a scary thought. Number 14. He is the king. He is over all of the demons. Leviathan. The dragon that we see in the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation. He is a liar. The, Satan's message and his activities are built upon global deceit. Global deception. It's Lucifer. We are familiar with that name. That means light bearer. A living spirit. He uses, is used of God to, to deceive, uh, King Ahab in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 18. To, he, he brought a strong delusion. And, and folks, that's what we see today. There's a strong delusion. He, and he is masterful at doing that. Making people believe things that they should not believe. He is a murderer. I think from the very beginning, he knew premeditated murder. He, he poisoned the mind of Eve, de- deceived her because he knew in the day they ate, they would surely die. And that's exactly what happened. Premeditated murder. He's a murderer. He's the prince of demons. He is the prince of the power of the air. The, Passage that we know very well in Ephesians chapter 2. He resides in that sphere of the world. In the, in the air. The, he is powerful. And he can take on world forces. He is roaring lion. This is the passage that we see here in First Peter chapter 5. And that talks about his character and his intent to kill. He is the ruler of the world. He is, he is moving the world system in a certain direction, hostile toward God. He is not sovereign, but he is under, and he is under God's sovereignty, but he is allowed to rule this world. And Satan, his name is, uh, we call him Satan as well. We see this in Scripture 18 times. Satan, the word Satan means uh, adversary or uh, enemy. He is the chief enemy. Uh, uh, initiator or instigator of evil. He is the serpent 
That's the first being that he possessed. And he entered into this so that he can communicate with Eve. Number 26, he is the spirit. In contrast to human body, he lives in the spiritual realm. And, and really, that's the realm of, of ideas. We, we can associate, it, associate that with ideas, the realm of ideas. There's a lot of power there because he can twist those ideas. He's also a strong man. He's a strong man in Christ's parable there, but he could not overcome Christ. And then he's the tempter. And we have to pray that the, the Lord lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? The evil one, that Satan himself. So we see a lot of characteristics of Satan. Those are the, the colors on his flag. Those are the distinctions that he has. And, and that's characteristic of the dark side. That's characteristic of, of Satan's domain. These characteristics. It's pretty comprehensive. But the most gripping one is what Peter uses here. He is a roaring lion. Now that, that should strike fear. It's a roaring lion. Of all of God's creatures, the lion is probably the most fierce. The, the most to be feared that we see today. The lion can weigh 260 up to 550 pounds. An adult lion can run somewhere between 35 to 50 miles an hour to spurt. He can stalk his prey for hours, jump and pounce just at the right time. He can eat 88 pounds of meat in one sitting. That's pretty powerful. They are the loudest of all cats. I think that's not a a surprise. Uh, His roar can be 114 decibels. Um, In fact, it can be heard five miles away, is what they say. And Peter uses, Peter chooses this, this animal, lion, to strike fear in our heart. So, so that it would get our attention. I, uh, we would take the kids to the zoos a, a lot. And I don't remember which zoo we were at. Uh, but I remember being at one of the exhibits and it was, it was a little quaint little animal. It wasn't, it wasn't the lion. Um, but I'm looking at this little animal. I don't even remember what it was. It may have just been a flamingo or you know something like that. But on the other side of the this exhibit, and it was blocked by um, just a hedge of just some hedges there, some bushes. On the other side was the lions, and all of a sudden the lion roared, and it was not just a, a meow. It was a roar, and I tell you, it struck fear into my heart, and, and I'm pushing a baby stroller and I've got my kids and man, I was instantly afraid, instantly uh, kind of shocked. And uh, it, it, it put within me this fight or flight uh, instinct, right? You, you're familiar with that. You, you know, I, I've got to protect my family or <laughs> completely run. And at that point, I was ready to run. But it struck fear in my heart. Now that's what Peter wants. He, he wants us to be afraid here. This is a roaring lion. But I think the most fearful thing that we see in this, this passage is the word your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. It's your. Now who's he talking about? Who is the, the your here? Well, go back to chapter 1 in verse 1, we see that Peter 
an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside in it as exiles um, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Those believers, th- those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they, they, are, they were chosen before the foundation of the world, and they respond to the gospel. They set aside their sin and begin to follow Christ, and they defect from Satan's side and join God's side. They are now warriors of truth, warriors of righteousness. Therefore, God's enemy is now their enemy. And that would be us if if we've crossed that battle line, if we've defected. And the battle then, the scary part, the battle has come to us. Satan is not just God's enemy. Satan is now our enemy. And that's the scary part. Our or or your adversary, the devil. But also you need to... Another thing about the word your here is it's in the plural sense here. It's, it's used as plural. You all, you might say. And it's talking about the church as a whole. Um, and Satan is fighting against... Satan, his demons, is fighting against the individual, but also the collective. And and this is important for us to to understand. The implication here is for the elders then to protect. He, He is coming after the church, and the elders have to protect the church and keep the church safe from Satan's Satan's from buying into Satan's lies or from following Satan and the course of this world, the influence of this world. So there has to be a trust of the elders. There's a protection within the church here. Your adversary, the devil, the church is he's coming after the church. Christ said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and he uses the elders. In fact, he mentions elders the context here in chapter five. As the, at the beginning of the, the chapter, he's talking about the elders, and they are to submit to the elders. And there's a certain amount of security there. But my point is here, what we do here at Daniel's Bible Church is serious. It's important. This is not entertainment. And I know that is contrary to many of the churches that you see today. It's just, it's just fun. It's just a social club. This is not just a feel-good time. What we do, there has to be a deep teaching time because we have an enemy. In many churches, I look around in many churches, I don't see that today. So, so meaning, you, you have to come to church. You have to listen. You have to prepare yourself for this enemy. The, the church is, is designed to Make us aware and protect us from spiritual warfare. Now, we'll look at the individual next week. But for right now, the church is to protect your adversary. The the devil is like a roaring lion. And that strikes fear within our own heart. Next week, we'll look at the, the individual person as far as spiritual warfare. But we as a church, we as a church are under attack by Satan. 
We have to trust our, our elders to study the Word of God and to keep continue preaching the truth and standing for the truth. And we need to be aware of that. Now, Peter has not only given us names, he gives us three names here, but also the character of Satan is a little bit uh, seen here because this is a roaring lion. This is a roaring lion. Just talking about how vicious he is. That's his character. He is serious. Why do we fear him? Because of his character. Because of what he can do. And so that's a, another question. Question number four is what, what is Satan's character? Why should we fear him? And, and so we look a little bit at, at his character. Just a few little points here concerning this. Um, and what I want you to see is there's danger here. That, that there's reason for, for fear. But it, it's also not only characteristic of Satan, but, but his domain. Now, let's look at a few of these. Number one, he's crafty. And there's plenty of scripture references to talk about this, really the whole of scripture. But he, he deceived Eve. It shows that he can, that he is uh, a trickster, but he twists the truth. He's manipulating the truth. He's, he's, he has creative theology. Now, folks, if, if you run into a theologian or, or somebody, a pastor that's teaching creative theology, you better run. That, that's just Satan. We don't, we don't have to come up with our own theology. We don't have to be creative in our theology. It's just from Scripture. And Satan is very persuasive. He's a good businessman. He's a good salesman. He's, he's tricky. Have you ever been scammed? I've been scammed. It's not fun. You, you feel abused and you feel uh, violated. And he can twist things and make things seem normal. Oh yeah, this is the, the natural thing to do. And we are, he's good at helping us to rationalize our own sinfulness or justify our sinfulness. Or, or to make it even appropriate. Oh, this is the right thing to do. Oh, oh it's a good thing to eat of that fruit. And he twists and he turns the truth. He's crafty. He's also, he's also pri- proud. And we referred to this, but again, it just means puffed up. But let me pull, pull out this idea. Pride is, is, like, is like yeast that infects the whole loaf. It, it just kind of feeds off itself and just continues to grow. And that's Satan. His pride just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And his rule and his reign is, is like that. And he, he can appear to be a, a strong leader and a confident leader because his pride, because he's puffed up. It's like weeds just growing everywhere. His pride, so much so that we don't even recognize it. He's also, he's also cynical. Now, for this, I want you just to, to note this. In Job chapter 1, in verse 6, now it, I'm sorry, in verse, uh, verse 9, it says this, And Satan answered Yahweh, Does Job fear God without cause? All of these righteous people that you have out there, they're not really righteous. They just fear you because of what you give them. He's very cynical. He has a cynical approach to life. Suspicious 
approach to life, an embittered approach, and a, and a condescending approach on on what God is producing within the church. He would be the one to say, oh, look at those church members. They're, they're nothing but hypocrites. And you know what? We shake our head and we, we know our own hearts and say, yeah, you know what? We are. And he's the accuser of the brethren. And he's good at what he's, he does. And he is a cynic. And number four, he also, he also is presumptuous. This is just part of who Satan is. And it's, it's just amazing to see. He presumes upon God's grace. He was created and he is sustained by God. And this, and everybody that is rebelling against God is just sustained by God and God's grace. But it's, it's like a baby slapping their mother that, that's holding them. He's slapping God in the face while being held by God. That's presumptuous. And folks, so often I, I see this attitude um, that it's a, a dangerous attitude of presumption that should not be among the believers. We presume upon God's grace. It's not to, not to be there. And he sells that to, this, to the world, this, this attitude of presumption. It's, it's, it's part of his character. Also, number five, he's cruel and, and, and fierce. Oh, this is not a surprise for us. We, we see those demon-possessed people, remember in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, Christ was having to deal with, the disciples having to deal with. And he was vicious for them. They would be flailed about and be cut and uh, all of these bad things. But, but that doesn't surprise us because Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his mission. That's what he, he does. So Peter's right to warn us. He, he is right because there's danger here. This is like a, a stop sign. This is like a blinking red light. You better come to a full stop here. And I have to think, Peter is the one that's writing this to us. And Peter was told by Christ. Peter was told by Christ. He, Christ said, to Peter, Satan desires to have you. He desires to, to sift you. He desires to test you. Because Satan probably suspected in Peter's own heart and mind, Peter's not as strong as he thought he was. And that's what happened. Satan had at him. And Satan, Satan uh, challenged Peter. And Peter was not as strong as he thought he was. And he failed the test. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? God restored. God was, or Satan was used by, by God to test Peter and to show Peter his own weakness. And folks, that's the way God works. He'll let Satan have at us. These people, they're going to experience the, the, the battles of spiritual warfare. They're going to face persecution. And Peter is saying, you need to do so sober-mindedly, and you need to do so watchfully. And he's throwing up these warnings here, this warning. And you wonder, I wonder if Peter thought, you know, I wish somebody would have warned me. I wish somebody would have told me to be watchful. And I remembered back, remember, just the same, not within 24 hours that Peter denied Christ, what did 
earlier, what did Christ say to Peter? Peter, be watchful. Stay awake with me. Pray with me. And that's exactly the warning that's given here. And Peter knows that. Be watchful. Don't fall asleep. Folks, I look around at at America's church today and, and, and I just see playing. I see entertainment. I see... Flirting with the world. I see an intoxication with the world. And, and or no real self-examination. No real outward look of, of, uh, of warning. It's more like what we see in 1 John. If you want to turn over to 1 John, there's a couple of statements there that are important. 1 John chapter 2, and verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you are drawn to the world, if you are flirting with the world, you have to. if you are intoxicated with the world, you have to ask yourself, is the love of the Father in me? Do I really love God? Or am I being influenced by Satan? I see a church today that's just flirting with the world. They want to appeal to the world. Bring the world in. That's the idea. But they compromise so much. They're flirting with the world. Over in chapter 4, there's another point in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. The spirits. What is he talking about? He says, because false prophets, false prophets have gone out into the world. What we see in the world is false prophets. That's what you see. And he says, test them. And I look today and I see a church that's just open-minded. They don't test anything. Anything is accepted from, uh, from the Word. Any twisting of Scripture, any, any reinterpretation is, is um, uh, under the, the guise of, of progress. Oh, we've made progress in this area. Oh, we now know what this passage really means. Oh, really? And they just twist Scripture. And what they're doing, they, they have a, an, and they do it in the guise of open-mindedness. They're not testing the spirits at all. And false prophets has gone out into the world and, and the church just seems to be buying it up. And so in, face, in facing this spiritual warfare, we do not and we dare not go into spiritual battle. Folks, it's going to come at some point. We do not go into that battle flippantly, do we? That would be foolish. Satan is taking this thing seriously. We need to take this thing seriously. Satan is not playing around. We better not play around. In fact, just the opposite of entertainment. We have to be we have to lose ourselves and focus upon God. It's not about our fun. It's about our sober-minded of how seriously we take this Word. How, how much to heart we take this Word. It's not a country club. It's not entertainment. It's not to be fun. It's not an appeal to the world or flirting with the world. What we do here is, is serious. You know, I've, I've hiked a lot. And my, when I was growing up, I, we were out in the woods a lot. We would see these men come out of the deeper woods and they would be snake hunters. They would come out and they would have, you know, 10, 20 snakes sometimes. And we, as kids, 
you know, we would be amazed, you know, and seeing these things. But I never really saw a snake. You know, maybe a little gardener snake every once in a while, something like that. When I was hiking in the woods, I really never saw them. Maybe I just made too much noise and they just ran for me. Ruthie and I were, were hiking this past summer. And I almost stepped on a rattlesnake. A, rattle, a big, thick rattlesnake. Good size rattles and stretched right across the road. And now when I go into the woods, I'm a lot more careful. I'm a lot more aware um, of what could be there. And folks, that strikes fear. You understand where I'm going. There's a certain amount of fear that we need to have from Satan. We're not terrified, but we have to be aware. We have to know. There's a healthy fear. But let me end this on a good note. We'll, we'll quit at this. I want to read just the rest of this passage because you need to see where Peter is going here. Verse 9. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering, of being accomplished among the, your brethren who are in the world, out there. And afterwards, after they suffer, after you suffer, he says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal in his to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you. He'll strengthen you and confirm you and ground you. Man, that's so comforting. And it says, to him be might forever and ever. You know, God Satan has a little power. But God has it all. He has the might forever and ever. And that's the, that's the good news. Should we be afraid? Yeah. There's a, there's a certain amount of fear that we should have. A healthy fear. Does it paralyze us? No, not at all. God is in control of these things. But folks, we have to remember. We are in spiritual warfare. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the warnings of Scripture. What a, what a good thing to have. Just to keep us, from, keep us from going directions we shouldn't. Keep us from false teaching. Keep us from the allure of the world. Keep us from Satan. Lord, I I pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.